welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I am joined by Laura Friedman Williams, author of Available. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. Well, it's morning for you, but it's afternoon for me. Right. It's cocktail hour for you, right? And coffee time for me. So <laughs> yeah, I've already had some cake. I mean, oh. <laughs> you can have cake in the morning as well. I could. I could. So you are divorced. How does it feel when I say that to you? Well, to be honest with you, my divorce papers are not yet signed. We're in the final throes of the divorce. It's been a very long and drawn out process. So it's been three and a half years since I've been separated. I think of myself as divorced now because we're, you know, leading completely separate lives. And it feels on the one hand, totally thrilling and liberating. And on the other hand, I still feel really devastated by it. For a couple of years, I think I tried really hard in, in the immediate aftermath of the separation to view it one way or the other. Like I was down and out, I was devastated, and now I'm back. And now I kind of see there's both. It's interesting that you still feel both after three and a half years. Do you think some of that will be lifted when the divorce is finalized and you've got that piece of paper? Or do you think you'll always feel like this? No, I think I'll always feel this way. It's not by the way, I mean, no offense to him. I'm not devastated by losing him. <laughs> we were together a long time, like from the time I was, we were 20 years old. So for 27 years we were together and we had a good run. You know, we had our ups and downs for sure. It's not so much that I'm devastated by losing him personally. I don't want him back. I never did. As soon as it was over, it was very much over in my mind. It, I never tried to get him back or or hope that he would want me back even. It's the idea of marriage. It's giving up on the idea of marriage and giving up on that notion of happily ever after and the things that I wanted for so many years when I was a child growing up. It's very hard to let go of that ideal. So I think in one way, 
I'm planning my divorce party and it's going to be a doozy. It's too bad you're not on this side of the pond because I like, I can't wait. I mean, I've been building this up with my friends for so long. <laughs> um, so I, I can't wait for it to be official, but I also just feel like divorce is in my mind, like a death and you grieve it. And it was a long marriage. I expected it to last the rest of my life. And so I have pangs that it's gone. Tell me about the divorce party, please. What are the plans? (laughs) Are they going to be penis-shaped things or vagina-shaped things? I haven't really thought about that. I've been thinking more about like edibles, alcohol, and roller skates. I don't know. That's really like... Roller skates, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Those are my top three. Yeah. And honestly, and the most important thing is just like my team, right, of women. So I don't even need anything really but them. They're like the main event of the party. Why roller skates? I just love to roller skate. And I I had in um, my old apartment that I just had to move out of, you know, our family home that we sold in June and moved out of, I had this pair of roller skates on the bookshelf. We had this massive wall of shelves. We had very high ceilings. And my husband and I had had a big fight about whether or not to have these shelves. I didn't want them because I decided at this point in my life, I didn't want stuff anymore. So he insisted on having this wall of shelves. And he said, but the, the deal is you can put whatever you want on them. So what I put on them was a pair of roller skates. And so I had this big blank wall of shelves and a pair of roller skates. And so the roller skates became very symbolic to me over time of, you know, the sort of new life that I was going to have. And that's, I just want to roller skate around. Well, I guess it would be like my tiny new apartment. I could roller skate around it. I'm just imagining you in like divorced world, just roller skating everywhere, <laughs> like to the loo, to the shops, to the school pickup. That would be amazing. I have to get good enough so that I could go to school pickup without mortifying my daughter because she's starting middle school. I think if I could get really good, then I could be cool enough to do that. That's, I mean, that's a good goal. That's a good post-divorce goal. So I just want to go back to what you said earlier about kind of grieving the marriage before you have your roller skating party. And, um, And you said the words giving up on marriage and giving up on that ideal. Do you think you have given up or do you think you could have it again in the future? I think someone could have it again in the future. It won't be me. I I don't want it again. I think that it was for me, I never want to sound negative. You know, I'm in general a pretty optimistic and positive person, but I feel very disillusioned in my middle age about what marriage really looks like. And this idea that a successful marriage is basically a marriage that stays together no matter what. I never saw myself as not being married. It was never so much as something that had crossed my mind. I was a very trusting person. I'd been with my husband since we were practically teenagers and I expected it to last a lifetime. So those, those were my expectations. And I fully believed this notion of like, you find your guy, you settle down, you have babies, you make a nice household and that's it. That's your life for better or for worse. And I don't believe that that's really like the healthiest choice for people anymore. Like I do, it's not what I want for my children. For example, I have a 21-year-old daughter and I'm constantly like, don't settle down, don't get married, have the babies if you want, you don't need the ring or get married, but understand that you're compromising something because everything we do is a compromise. I don't think I understood that. I don't think I understood how much compromise there was in terms of how much you have to compromise yourself, your own ideals, your own lifestyle choices, your own professional goals. There's a lot of compromise in marriage. So no, I don't want that now. I'm 51 And um, I feel pretty independent for the first time in my life. 
And what do you think it is about marriage? Because you said, you say to your daughter, you know, have the babies if you want to, but you don't need that ring, that piece of paper. What is it about marriage that starts all those compromises, do you think? You're locked in together. And I think that the motivation to keep compromising and communicating well and really like supporting and respecting each other it starts to wane. I have to be clear. I know that's not always true. And in my marriage, it was very subtle. I'm talking about something that happened over 27 years. This was not, you know, I think that we, we were very young when we got married, we were 25 and we definitely supported each other. We didn't have children. Our lives were relatively uncomplicated, but life, the things that you can't see, you have no idea how you're going to react to them. So you don't know what something feels like. It's sort of like when people say, oh, well, if my husband had an affair, I would do this. Well, you don't really know what you would do. You're not in the situation. Whatever I thought I would do is not what I did. I think with marriage particularly, like as time goes on, children maybe, we had three of them, your parents die, your friends get sick, you deal with illnesses, businesses go up and down, finances go up and down. You're battling really significant challenges in life. And it's very hard to constantly be a team in that and to always also want to be on the same page. And he and I were very different people. And I think the things that we felt complemented each other, like he was much more outgoing and much more of a risk taker and an entrepreneur. And I was more of a sort of settled homemaker and a nurturer that complemented each other for a long time. That was really great when we were 25 and 30 and 35. And now suddenly we're in our late 40s. And we're not those people anymore. I can totally relate to that, though. I think in my marriage, my father passed away and it was the first kind of big thing that we had to deal with, really, as as a couple. And I think for us, that was what started the breakdown. So take me back to the breakup. Where were you in the world? How old were you? How did it sort of kick off? Did you make the decision? Was the decision made for you? It was very much made for me. I was, we were in our late 40s. I was 47. Our eldest daughter was a senior in high school. So we were getting ready to send her off to college. And our youngest was six years old. So we had a, you know, span of ages in the house. And we just bought and renovated like our dream apartment. You know, we'd moved maybe eight times since like our daughter was born in the 21 years. I think we'd moved eight times. And this was our forever home. We gutted it. We rebuilt it. It was, you know, this beautiful apartment. And I really see that apartment. I don't want to blame the apartment. I think the thing is that you move into the apartment. That's your goal and aspiration. And then you realize that's still, it's not enough. It's not what you actually wanted. For me, it was. It was enough for me. It was what I wanted. It wasn't what he wanted. So I was really blindsided. We were living in New York City. I found out that he was having an affair. I found out on my own because he was acting very strange over a couple of maybe months he had become very hostile and cold to me, which was not his nature. And so I did a little snooping, which again, is not my nature. And I found out he was having an affair. And for me, the knowledge of the affair, it was so earth shattering. I I had always said that I believed if you had a one night stand, like for me, sex, I believe that you can have sex without emotional connection. And so He travels a ton for work. I wouldn't have been shocked to find out that he'd had a one-night stand along the way, and it wouldn't have killed me. Honestly, I mean, maybe it would have. Again, I I just said a minute ago, you never know how you'll feel. I don't think it would have killed me. This was a different situation. He had fallen in love with another woman. He was talking about leaving me. He had been with her for months. There was a level of deceit. Uh, There was a whole second life under the life that I understood. I was gutted by it. 
And we separated immediately. Within 48 hours, he had moved out. That was because I'd asked him to. And he thought we could rebuild. You know, he was like, we are going to be better than ever. This is going to be the catalyst. Now I know I want to be with you. That's what he said to me. Now I, I know that I have had this. I know I want to be with you. I just want things to be different. You know, I want to go to Burning Man. I want to like travel the world. And I was like, I, I like our lives. I, we just built this dream home. I don't want to go to Burning Man. I, I, I'm, you know, and I, I understand he was craving this adventure and this newness and he had a curiosity and I didn't have that. But for me, the minute I understood, I felt so betrayed and I'm still wrapping my head. I mean, three and a half years later, I'm still wrapping my head around how does something like this happen under your nose and you not know about it? You know, and I'm still a very trusting person. I don't think that any of my trust has really in people in general has been eroded. So we, we tried for several months. We separated. We went to couples therapy. We had to be in touch all the time because of the children. But it was, it was pretty clear to me, like within a couple of months, it was clear to me that the marriage was over. And it ultimately, was the one, I was the one who, had, who said, I want to get divorced. It was ultimately my decision. But he, he definitely drove that train. I just want to take you back to that moment where you discovered he was cheating and that he was in love with someone else. How do you think that manifested physically in you? Oh, God. I mean, I felt sick, obviously, you know, like full on body shakes, sweating, panic attack, nausea, sick, like I had a flu, you know, for a few days. That's how it manifested itself in me physically. Um, And I think actually it was so shocking that it was too much for me to take in. I think the weight of it didn't settle. I actually remember, I remember opening um, WhatsApp on his phone and seeing the texts And I remember the words, like I couldn't connect them. I was watching them on the page and they were sort of floating off the page to me. Like I remember being able to see certain words, you know, wife, soulmate, divorce, like all these words. And I I closed it quickly. I was like, it was like seeing, it was like stumbling on like a dead body and then having to like race out of the room. That's how I felt. I was like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. This is, this is the sickening. This is the most horrifying room I've ever been in. And I went to him immediately. I, I turned the phone off and I went. He was sleeping and I woke him up and I said, I know everything. Like, I, explain this to me. Please explain this. And I was panicked. And um, he was angry. He was angry at me. He was defensive. He was not prepared. He was ill-prepared for my, my response. He was not prepared for me to find out. I think he was planning to tell me on his own terms. I think that's so interesting what you said about certain words stuck out to you because definitely in my life there's certain things people have said to me or things my ex used to say to me over and over again in arguments that stay with me, those sentences. Was there a sentence or a moment of that experience that stays with you when you have your pangs? Do you remember it? Yeah, it was the word soulmate, that she was his soulmate. I mean, I don't know, you know, as a, as a woman, as a wife, as a person, I don't know how you get over that. You know, I've spent 27 years with this man. I've, you know, built a home. I raised three amazing children. I sacrificed and compromised a lot. And that word soulmate, like, how do you give, how do you just give your love to another woman and come home and look at me? How could you do that for more than a day, let alone for months, come home and look at me? And what killed me about it, about that word soulmate also was that he'd been quite mean to me during that time, those months when he was having the affair, he was, and I get it, he was angry. (laughs) You know, I probably would have been too. So if I was off having an affair and in love with somebody else and had to come home to him, I'm sure I would have hated him too. So 
I, I get how coming home to me, you know, making meatballs in the kitchen, you know, asking him to help me put the kids to bed or not put his dirty dishes in the sink or, you know, not drip like coffee on the floor. I get how that, you know, would make me seem like utter drudgery. I get it. But I felt it. I internalized it in a big way. I felt like something was really wrong with me. And then when I found out he was having an affair and had this soulmate, it was confirmed for me that there was something wrong with me because how, who would reject this? You've known this woman, you've known her since she was 20, you've watched her do all these things, and yet somebody else is now above her. How could you feel anything other than utterly rejected and like totally broken? How did you deal with the feeling of rejection? Well, afterwards, that was, I mean, that was a months long process. And, and obviously it's, you know, it's still going in many ways. I'd say for about five, six months, um, how I dealt with it was like, not very gracefully. I probably just cried around the clock, you know, and, um, cried to my friends and cried alone and I was numb. You know, I just, I don't even know how I got through that time. It was so heart wrenching when he left. And then all of a sudden, he just was not living with us anymore. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I'm 47 years old. I'm living as the only adult in my house. My kids have lost their father. Two of my kids weren't speaking to him. They were so angry by what had happened. They knew about what had happened. And they were pissed. So I was a single mom to two teenagers. And then I had this little girl who was heartbroken that her dad was gone overnight. I dealt with it the best I could. I was there for them. I think often I felt like they felt like it happened to them. And I would sometimes have to be like, hey guys, I'm hurt too. You know, this is hard for me too. Like dad did cheat on me, not on you guys. But my goal was to be their mom and to get them through it. Like that was in the winter. And then by summer, I think I started to feel like everybody was sort of getting their groove back. And um, I felt so dead inside. I felt so unlike the woman I had once been. I think I'd always seen myself as a very vibrant an outgoing and happy person. And none of those things were true about me anymore. And I thought like, is this what it's going to be now? I'm 47 now. And this is what the rest of my life is going to look like. So I, I just like something just turned in me. I really have to say, I had this like revelation of like, I'm either going to die like this, or I'm going to learn how to live again. And I'm going to opt for life. Wow. I can totally relate to that. I think I had obviously those really hard times. I wasn't married for as long as you were. I was only married for a couple of years. But I had that sort of crying, not getting up, not showering. My sister told me I smelled. (laughs) Then I had a shower. Um, But like just terrible times. And then I sort of thought, well, fuck this. (laughs) And like put some makeup on and put some brightly colored clothes on and went out and had a lot of sex was how I dealt with it. Because I think, you know, my ex didn't cheat on me. That's not why we broke up. But I think any sort of breakup of a marriage is, a, especially if the other person wants to break up with you, feels like a rejection as well. And feels like, well, why didn't this work? Why couldn't I make this work? Why wasn't I good enough yeah. for this to work? And so, yeah, my my answer to that was having a lot of sex, which was very nice for a while. Um, I'm yeah. still wearing bright clothes now. so that's <laughs> I <safe>. see that. <laughs> so you said there that two of your children, and obviously you talk about it in your book, two of your children wouldn't talk to your ex initially. Yeah. How did you deal with that? as a mum, because I can imagine myself, 
I'd feel quite pleased initially <laughs> that they were on my side. Right. But then you've also got to negotiate that it's their dad. Yeah, it was messy. You know, I felt like I didn't need them to fight for me, you know, because I had my own fight and their fight was sort of making it more complicated because it was making it about them. And I needed it to be about me. Like I needed them to sort of like calm down so I could be like, okay, uh, this is my marriage. And I really never had the luxury of doing that. I think with both of them, they are so different. You know, my, my older daughter confides in me about everything and she, you know, can articulate how she feels about like having a chipped nail. You know, we could talk about that for hours at a, at a time. She, she doesn't care about her nails, but um, any minutia she can talk about for hours. Whereas my son is like, yeah, it's cool. You know, we're fine. It's fine. So the, the, the ways that I dealt with them were very different. I think I, I would say I spent a lot of time lying on, on my daughter's bed, listening to her, you know, rage and anger and tears. And then I would sort of leave her room and go and coax my son to try to do some of the same. And we had a few nights of my just saying to my son, like, you got to let it out. You're just going to have to come out with it. And he was bottling things and there were things that he had seen that he didn't want to tell me about. He was really scared of hurting me. Um, and I was like, I'm so hurt. It doesn't even matter anymore. Like, just tell me everything I need it. It's worse for me to watch you suffer than to just have you come out with it. Let's just have it all out. So I think our communication, you know, was very open mine and the kids. I definitely heard my daughter screaming at my husband sometimes over the phone and thought, well, that's, I mean, when she's mad, forget it. You don't want to be in her path. So he deserved that for sure. Uh, but it's funny because one one thing that happened that was a little bit of like this this big fuck you gesture was that my son got a tattoo on his shoulder that said mom. And I was so touched by it. Like he and I had never had a great relationship and we'd really like had to lean on each other and and bond. So I was really touched by it. And my daughter was like, um, do you think he got that because he loves you so much or he's just trying to say fuck you to dad? And I was like, oh. I don't know. I didn't really think about it that way. I'm going to go with he loves me so much. (laughs) (laughs) So sure, there was certain part of me that was like, you are such an asshole and you lost everything because you lost your children and you have no guarantee that you'll ever get them back. And I'll always have them. So I may not have my dignity right now. I may not have my, you know, confidence, but I've got my kids over time it became different because it's really hard to parent teenagers, especially completely by yourself. And so I started really pushing them like, listen, dad made a mistake. He's human. What happened is between him and me, please talk to him. And then that had the opposite effect. They were like, mom, we'll figure this out on our own time. You're pushing us at him is actually making us just annoyed and crazy. Like we don't need you to help us figure this out. So what I finally did, and it took me a long time, I just modeled forgiveness for them. I forgave him. I didn't forget, but I forgave him. I tried to understand what had happened to lead him to have this affair. And I modeled for them what that forgiveness looked like. And eventually they forgave him. I think they're still working on it. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say like everything is not like rosy and back to normal, but they have relationships again. And and then it's a work in progress. Yeah. Well, I love that you modeled forgiveness for them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. You can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website thedivorcesocial.com. And you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S. And it starts at £2 a month. And we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. How did you cope with that sort of recovery then for yourself? Because obviously you had to be there a lot for your children. But for yourself, was there anything you did in that period where you're like just getting over the kind of hurt and the crying all the time? How do you get back to you and get that confidence back? Well, originally I didn't. And I think that was very much in keeping with my belief as a mother. I had like a real martyr's view of motherhood, which is like everything is for the children. You can't be happy unless your kids are happy. The kids always come first. You're only as happy as your least happy child. You know, I I ascribe to all of that. And um, as a stay-at-home mom, I really didn't have a lot going on besides my kids. I wasn't even really thinking about myself in that way. And then when I had this revelation, I basically, Sam, did what you did. I, I went out and had tons of sex. I had so much sex with so many different kinds of people that it became, it was, it was twofold. One, it was fun and it was a distraction and it built my self-esteem again. And two, it made me start caring about myself. And after I carved out this space for myself and I realized the greatest thing about sex is that nobody can be with me when I'm doing it except for the partner I'm having sex with. And so I'm not worrying about who is getting fed or who is needs to drive, ride somewhere or whatever. It's just about me. This is my time. And it made me feel so powerful and so fulfilled. 
And so I just had more of it. I was like, I went through like my total, you know, sow your wild oats kind of phase that I never had as a teenager because I settled down so young. And I asked questions also. That was the other thing. I was, I was constantly asking questions of men, understand what they liked and what was interesting to them. Not because I wanted to please them, but because I was just curious. Like it's been so many years since I've been at it. You know, as the, as the saying goes, I got my groove back. Once I started doing that, I realized, oh my gosh, like this woman who is not a mother, who's not a wife, has been so dormant for probably a couple of decades. And like, she's alive again. It was so thrilling. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it was. it was. It was. It was pretty great. You say you were asking men lots of questions because you're interested. Yeah. Were there any illuminating answers that you got or any answers that have kind of stayed with you? One was about hair in general, body hair, I think has, you know, made a comeback. But in the men I asked love no hair. I think it feels like cleaner and smoother and they can get in faster. There's less in their way. Wow. <laughs> so less in um, their way. Yeah. There's less, <laughs> you know, there's, it's like you're right to the scalp. You're just right there. A couple of men asked me if I would consider waxing everything off. And at first I was like, that is so rude. You know, that's like, I'm not asking you to wax anything off, you know, your chest hair or whatever. But the truth is that I actually found that men who groomed down there, it was much more lovely. I, I appreciated that too. Once I saw what groom, grooming looked like, I really could never go back to ungroomed. So um, in men. So that was one, one really? area. Really? I think yeah, the balls I, look very weird. I think it all looks very weird when it's bare. Uh, oh, Sam, I don't look. I, I, I keep my eyes closed. <laughs> I, I'm just talking about how it feels. <laughs> Oh, okay, right. But doesn't it feel a bit stubbly? And then if if you're both stubbly, it's like Velcro. You can't have stubble. You have to be on your game. It needs to be clean. You have to commit. Shaven. You have to commit. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you got to go, you have to, you got to pick a lane. If you're going to go bald, then be smooth and bald. If you're going to have hair, then be, you know, soft and, you know, full. But I don't like, no, I don't want to get a full mouth of hair. I'm sorry. I don't. I just... It's, it's, and so it depends on the man. Some men are hairier than others and women too. Um, so, okay. That was, that was one area. Well, just on that note, I actually had sex with a guy who was like, who's really into very full bushes. Oh, so he was like, grow it out. Like Come as on. much as possible. <gasps> Did you? And I, I, well, I don't have that much growth. Uh, mm. Like it's sort of, it's, yeah. well, it stays in one area. <laughs> But I, I I grew it out. Yeah, I was like, yeah, all right, sure. Why not? Don't that's have to amazing. do anything. But he was like so into it. That's very funny. I think that's like a, it's like an interesting fetish, right? Like men who love to have sex with pregnant women or uh, whatever, I guess, is just like having a full bush. You know, there's, I personally think, it's, I think pubic, like on a woman, I would like to see pubic hair. I mean, I just think it's part of a woman's anatomy. And to me, it's very like seventies. And, you know, I grew up with those books, like know your, know your body or our bodies ourselves and the joy of sex. And those women had trees. Those were not even bushes, you know, back then they were like full on. Trees, and that's what I grew like up broad with. Trees coming off. <laughs> Literally. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, like I, I'm, you know, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. Like we, we've got hair. So I'm, if like your boyfriend had asked me to grow mine out, I think he would have been amazed by what I could do. <laughs> how I could, <laughs> like his, I could make his fantasies come true. I I'll, think I I'll, really could. I'll put you in touch. <laughs> 
But I've never, see, I've, I'm really interested in this. I've never had it all off. Mm. And I, and I spoke to someone, I think she was in her sixties and she said, you've got to keep a little bit, a little beard because when you get older, it needs a little bit of coverage. Oh, interesting. How Mm. did it feel having it all off for you? Besides painful and humiliating, uh, it felt nice other than that. I mean, I, I basically, I went to like a place, you know, and I had it all, not waxed, but sugared, which is like waxing. I had it, I was like, just take everything. Like, I don't want to, I don't want there to be one hair left. I want to see what this is. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it all the way. And it was abjectly humiliating. I mean, when you're like lying on your stomach and you're holding your ass cheeks open for somebody to get in there with a ball of waxy sugar, I don't know. It's like, it's I've so had my bum hole waxed yeah. and it's like you're on all fours and they're like, and spread your bum cheeks. And they're just having a normal conversation with yeah. you. And you're like, I might just like poo in your face. Like if I farted right now, that could happen. <laughs> like anything could happen right so now. Weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And I had those moments just wanting to be like, are you okay? Are you or like, I know you do this all the time, but are you okay to <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I wanted, I was very British. I wanted to be, I'm sorry <laughs> that you're just staring into my bum hole. I, I don't, I don't know if I apologize like that. I actually just felt very defensive. Like, just so you know, I know that I'm like not responding very well to the pain right now or the humiliation of this, but like I have given birth to three children naturally. So like, keep that in mind while you're looking down there. And like, I did it without crying. And like, I know I'm crying now, but I'm not always like this. I felt very like, just, I was so embarrassed. I was more, I was just humiliated. So I did it. And, um, the guy I was dating was like, oh, I can't wait to see it. I was like, you know what? fuck you. You're not even going to see it. I'm so mad at you that I did this like for you that I don't even want you to see it now. But he did. And he, he like loved it. And I kind of loved it too, because it just like, it feels so clean and smooth. I do like the way it feels. That being said, I, I can't, I couldn't go back. First of all, I'd have to go to a different place every time. There's no way I would return <laughs> to the scene of the crime. No. Just like a tour of wax parlors. Pretty much. I live in New York City, so that's fine. There's one on every corner. I mean, I could make it work. I'd last for a very long time before I'd run out of places. But I decided I couldn't do that again. So I, I just actually bought this like $10 like bikini trimmer. And um, I just do it myself like all the time. And it keeps me – it's like if you do it all the time, it takes a second. And it's not painful or really humiliating. I mean, I definitely know my parts better than I ever known them before because I've gotten very up close and personal trying to get every last hair. Every once in a while, I'm told I've skipped a section. Um, so, you know, <laughs> but I, I'm doing okay and I'm not humiliated in, or in pain. Wow. So that's yeah. one of the things you learn okay. mm-hmm. from asking men. That was one. The other big thing, the category that I really tried to delve into was oral sex. So, what I found really fascinating in every man that I was with was their desire and almost need for oral sex to, to, to be giving it to, they love to get between a woman's legs. I mean, every man I know asked me pretty much if he could go down on me. And most of them asked, which was interesting to me, like if it was okay with me, I guess a lot of women don't like it. So I thought it was nice that they asked. I like it. So it was fine with me. That literally sounds like the dream. Like, can you send them all over here? <laughs> Because I feel like guys in the UK, not the same. <gasps> they don't ask. They don't ask and they don't do. Get out. I'm actually, I'm shocked. Well, obviously there's lots of different people, but the majority of guys that I've had sex with have not been like, can I go down on you? I feel like I need to, 
take a research Yeah, trip. they're like, can you suck my dick, but not can I go down on you? In fact, I had this really funny experience. Like when I first started going online, I went on like Tinder and I was having this really nice chat with this guy. He was like coaching his kid's soccer team. He was like all super sweet. Like I'll text you when I'm back from, you know, the soccer fields. And we made a date to get together. And he said, okay, there's one thing I need to tell you. Uh, before we go out. And this is really important to me. And, and it may be a deal breaker for you. But my my wife, um, you know, for years, I was married to her, and she didn't let me go down on her. And so now it's like a requirement, like I have to be able to I have to know that I can go down on a woman for like, hours at a time if I want to, like for as long as I need to. Oh, my. <laughs> I need to meet this man. <laughs> oh, I well, I mean, I can definitely connect you. The thing is, I was like, no, thank you. Because hours, it felt a little bit to me like um, this, he had like an oral fetish, you know, because I was thinking like, I mean, it's one thing to ask me if I'm open to oral sex. It's another thing to assume that I'm going to have sex with you and that I'm going to want you to go down on me and that it's going to be okay for hours at a time. I mean, I'd probably fall asleep. Honestly, I can't, <laughs> I can't sustain anything that long. Well, hopefully he'd be skilled enough that you wouldn't fall asleep but I felt like he was very inexperienced remember he was newly divorced and his wife never let him so it was like are you practicing on me (laughs) so I said no so I think I'm trying to remember if there was anything else besides pubic hair and oral sex those were the two big those were the two big categories of um inquiry I had I love this we I feel like we've all learned something here that we can take (laughs) forward into our sex lives I I might try I might try get taking it all off Pubic hair Just wise. try. It's going to grow Give back. I mean, trust me, it grows back it. in like five minutes. Yeah, it's but like is it so no itchy? Like it's itchy no. normally when it grows back. No, because you're not shaving it. You know, if you if you do it, like if you get these clippers, um, they're not, they're like, it's like a bikini trimmer. You know, is you can buy it off Amazon. No, it it's not even it that out? fancy. No, 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 no. It's not even, it's like literally like a $10 like battery operated bikini trimmer. And it trims it down to the root but not under the root so when it's growing back it's not pushing through the skin that's what makes it itchy right yeah which is why i say i have to do it every day like or every few days and it won't be itchy i promise it won't be itchy that would be a deal breaker for me this is gonna change my life so um we should talk about your book because i'm reading it it's hilarious and very moorish i'm i just sit down <laughs> and I get carried away it's great <laughs> Um, And you say in your book that you started writing it because you were having all these lovely sexual times and your friends were like, you have to write this down, please go and write this down. How did you change from kind of being forced to write it by your friends to thinking, do you know what, this can be a book and this could help people? That's a good question because it definitely was like, you know, uh, the grieving process, a process. I think in the beginning, friends were, you know, like, I've always liked to write, but just not had anything particularly to write about. So the writing that I did was, you know, like helping friends write speeches for events or, you know, their their husband's 50th birthday party, I'd write the toast or bat mitzvah speech or whatever. So yeah, friends were like, these stories are so funny, you know, about dogs in bedrooms and, you know, men who lose their condoms inside of you, all, all kinds of things. And so I did start writing them down just anecdotally. And, um, and then I sent the pages to a couple of girlfriends of mine. I used to work in publishing like 20 years ago before I stopped working. Um, so I still had a couple of friends that I'd kept in publishing and I sent it and was like, what do you think? This is probably nothing. Right. And they were like, no, it's actually something you should keep writing it down. And so I did, I just kind of kept going until I had, and I'd sort of 
I knew at the outset that I wanted to number the men, you know, that it had become less important to me, like who the man was than the fact that like, okay, this was number one. You're the first man. This is my experience of being with the first man. You're number two. This is my experience now that I've had the first man. Okay. Now by number eight, I'm pretty experienced to know what I like and don't like. And there were some bumps along the way. So I guess over time, I just sort of kept writing more and more. And one of my friends who I'd sent it to, she's now, she worked as an editor for 20 years and she's now an agent. And she said, I think you should try writing this into your proposal and see what you can do with it. See if you can sell it. And I did, I started writing it. And then a couple of things happened. One, I realized I had to be a little bit more honest. Like it wasn't all fun and games. And I felt that to present it like sex in the city, part two, girls gone wild, you know, 50 year old woman finds her mojo and sleeps with half Manhattan. That was part of the story. And it was a really fun part of the story. It's a little more salacious, right? But it wasn't the truth. The truth was that I was still in pain, that I could have sex one night and be thrilled and still wake up and feel like, oh my God, my marriage is over. So I felt it was very important to write a book that was well-rounded. And so some parts of it were extraordinarily painful for me to write because I talk about the end of my marriage and about acknowledging and about my kids' pain and about trying to find myself even in the pain. And then when it was like sort of a nice proposal and ready to go, and I'd been working on it for like a year and my agent was like, okay, I'm going to send it out. I was like, yeah, no, we're not sending this out. I've got children. I've got parents. I've got friends. Like nobody needs to know what I've been up to in my private life. Like this is, I know what I look like to people. I've been like the ultimate mom, you know, PTA president at every school. And like, no, no one needs to know this. So I asked her not to send it out. I, I decided I wouldn't do it after all, that it would just be like a project that I knew that I did. And that was like an arrest in my computer. And I felt really like sad for myself when I made that decision because I thought, wow, this is like the woman that I'd been all those years where I felt sort of like boxed in by these roles that I had created. So um, I just kind of ripped the Band-Aid off with a lot of encouragement from friends and my mother. I ripped it off and I, and I decided to go for it and expose myself and I'm glad I did because I think there's nothing I'm writing about that is anything to be ashamed of for myself or for anybody else. And I think that it, I realized in writing all the fun stuff, but not the other, there was still so much shame involved in saying, I own who I am. And I feel now I own who I am. This is who I am. I am a, I am a woman. I am a wife. Not an ex-wife. I'm sorry. I'm an ex-wife. I am a mother, most importantly. And I'm also a woman with a private life. It's not so private anymore. I mean, everybody knows about it, but, you know, they're not in the bedroom with me. So there's that. There's a little, little level of privacy. I love that because I'm an oversharer and I come from a background of stand-up comedy. So my life has literally always been on stage. And I think a lot of times people say to me like, oh my God, how can you share all that? And I think there's a line, like I don't share absolutely everything. But just like you said, and what I'm really enjoying about your book is you share the hard times as well as the sexy, great times, which definitely makes for a more rounded read. And also you can relate to, well, I can relate to so much of it. And I think that's so important because we want to like live vicariously through the fun, sexy stories if they haven't happened to us. But then equally, you know, we can see that it, it maybe comes from a place of, of pain or, or whatever kind of fueled that. And I think that's what's really important. And that's what I wanted this podcast to be as well. It's like, yeah, I'm a comedian, 
but we don't just tell the kind of silly fun stuff. We also talk about the harder stuff because that's life, isn't it? The ups and downs. I love that. And I appreciate that. And those are the podcasts I listen to. I'm an avid podcast listener and I listened to yours before being guest on it, which was nice. It's always like amazing to be a guest on a podcast that you enjoy. And there was one episode recently that you did with a woman who talked a lot about sex and about finding her, you know, how, how she really did not, was a very asexual person in her marriage and became very sexual afterwards. And I, I really related to so much of that. I mean, I relate to a lot of what people say on, on your show and other shows. And then I learn also. And I think the point is like, we're human, we're well-rounded, right? Like nothing is, I understand something now in my life, which is that like black and white isn't, doesn't exist. Like everything's shades of gray, you, you, everything. And because you feel one way, one minute doesn't mean you won't feel the opposite in five minutes. So I think a lot of women, what they don't understand if they're not divorced is that divorce is extraordinarily painful. Um, it's not like just because so many women do, and men, men too, I want to say that, just because so many people do it doesn't make it okay. It's a horrible thing to go through. It's really gut-wrenching. It's a, it really forces you to reinvent yourself. And if that's not something you wanted to do, that's going to be a tough process. But I think it's important for women to see that it's totally possible and doable, and it's not going to all be fun and games. I never want to like be in front of people and act like this is easy or like, oh yeah, you'll just go out and you'll meet a guy. Like, It'll be fine. Dress up, put on a thong, use the trimmer I told you about, you know, put on some body oil, get, go out and own it. Because that's like a part of the story. And the other part is it's going to be really hard. You're going to feel really vulnerable. You might be embarrassed. You, you know, all of those things are true, too. So I, I just felt it was I, it was very important to me in my book to be authentic and and to say authentically that, you know, there's going to be really embarrassing moments and really thrilling moments and really sad moments and joyful moments. And like, we just, you know, have to represent that for each other. Definitely. I love that. Well, where can people buy your book and what's it called? Okay. It's called Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends. It is available in England, in bookstores, everywhere. It's coming out in the U.S., on September 14th. So probably by the time this podcast is out, it'll already be available. There's also an audio version and I, I did record the audio. So if you, if you haven't gotten sick of my voice yet um, and want to hear the audio, it, it's, uh, it does exist. So there's that. And I'm on social media, Instagram and Twitter and Medium. And I actually really like hearing from people because it makes me happy to hear that, you know, someone's read my book and it's made them feel hopeful or that they related to it or whatever. So if people want to DM me, reach out to me. I'm always happy to hear from them. I love that you voiced it yourself as well. I have two children's books, slightly different. I got to voice <laughs> one of them myself and it was the most fun experience. And also, did you find that you'd forgotten what you'd written? Um, yeah. I mean, there were times and especially like I do explore a little bit how I how was, was when I was having sex with a lot of men that I was learning this new language of sex and of like what men call, like the first time a man said pussy to me, I started laughing. I just couldn't believe people actually talk about it. Now it just rolls off my tongue. But when I was recording the book, there were like lots of moments where I'm using words like pussy or cock or blowjobs or whatever. And I've got two men on the headset with me, <laughs> um, you know, the producers. And I, at one point I said to um, one of them, this lovely British man, like, um, you know, sometimes this is a little, little awkward for me, you know, knowing you're on the headset. And he goes, well, 
I did wonder about that, Laura. And, um, and we got a good chuckle out of that. So yeah, it was, it was pretty funny when I was reading it. I was like, oh my God, I wrote that. Like, why do I always feel the need to say all these things? Why do I, why do I just put this all out there all the time? So yeah, it was, um, sometimes pleasant surprises and sometimes a little bit like too late. Love it. Well, I can't wait to listen to it. Um, thank you <laughs> thank so you. much. This has been so lovely. Thank you. Yes. Lots of, lots of laughs. So thank you for that. I needed that. <laughs> well. Yeah, thank you for providing them. I can't wait to shave my bits now. Not shave. <laughs> Use that special machine. Trim. Trim, trim. trim them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.